Hello, and welcome to episode eight of Crossroads of Destiny, an Avatar The Last Airbender Universe podcast. Right now, we're talking about every episode of Nickelodeon's Avatar The Last Airbender, one at a time. I'm Chad Hopkins. I'm sitting here with my co-hosts, Andrew and Melanie Grant. How are you two doing tonight? Doing good. Yeah, we're great. Excellent. So a couple of exciting things have sort of happened in our lives since we last recorded, uh, namely being that we're finally, or I say finally, we're further exercising our geekdom and nerdiness by uh, <laughs> starting our first Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Yeah, yeah, we are. It's <laughs> really fun. It's been a long time coming, let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. So we, we've had our first session. We're doing the starter kit set, The Lost Minds of Fandelver, and I am uh, DMing, which is a lot of fun and a lot of work, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. And uh, we're doing our second session this week with uh, our other friends uh seth and olivia so i just thought i'd share with that because i mean what's more geeky than jumping into dungeons and dragons New while, achievement unlocked. yeah <laughs> <laughs> while also exercising our enjoyment of a great tv show and being really nerdy about that too so uh, i actually told a student today at school that uh, there's nothing wrong with being geeky because being geeky just means that you're passionate about things there you go yep yeah truth Love yeah it. Is there anything else we wanted to mention before we just sort of jump into things? We're doing pretty good. Yeah, no, solid. It's been a little while since we recorded. It has yeah. been. Babies are doing great. Yeah. We got a four pounder so far. Yeah. Still got nine weeks to go. Yeah, the thing that's developed with James recently mm-hmm. is that he he's starting to have like conversations with me. It feels mm-hmm. like, yeah, mm-hmm. but I he, it's not words yet. No nope. words, and no so words. <laughs> we're, we're, Lots we're of noises and sounds. He sure does think he's telling you a whole lot, though. Yeah, yeah it, it's only been the last couple times I've been around him where it's been like he's really talking to me now, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is great. And he wants responses back, which yeah. is hysterical. <laughs> he mimics the phone too. So let's go ahead and jump into things. We are talking about book one, chapter nine, The Waterbending Scroll. It was directed by Anthony Leoy, written by John O'Brien. It aired on April 29th of 2005 and was again animated by JM Animation. Following the revelation of the last episode that Aang has mere months to master all four elements before the arrival of Sozin's Comet and the subsequent victory of the Fire Nation, the timeline for Aang to begin waterbending has vastly sped up. While perusing a market for supplies, Aang, Katara, and Sokka come across a band of merchants who have an interesting item in their collection, a waterbending scroll that teaches various forms that would be incredibly useful to both Aang and Katara. However, the band of merchants aren't merchants at all, but pirates. (gasps) The trio has to deal with not only the pirates, but also Zuko as he throws himself into the mix. And now that I've read that summary, I've got to say, I feel like I'm DMing again. Like, let me set the scene. (laughs) Exactly. No, absolutely. You're really good for that position, I think. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay. So fun things to talk about. Fun little story beats, fun little moments. What, what stands out to you about this one, Melanie? Sokka. Sokka is always just a little <laughs> bit of comic relief that we have. Mm-hmm. He gets like grunge work with having just to take care of Appa. He's like, so I had to do all the hard work while you guys just like play with water. It's like, yeah. Like, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he takes it with grace. He does. It's funny you mentioned that he's funny too, and we'll get into more of this later, but since you mentioned that, we also get to see him being pretty serious in this episode too, mm-hmm. and pretty uh, scorning of Katara, which we'll talk about because of what she does yeah. in this episode. Big Brother mm-hmm. came out for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else? Iroh, of course. Oh my gosh, Iroh's the best. <laughs> couple little zingers in there. Couple zingers, couple really funny faces. Also laying it on Katara. <laughs> That's true. That was, I lost it a little bit. Yeah, uh, it kind of talk- is your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I lost it a little bit when he said that. I was just like, I didn't catch it the first time, but 
No, in what you said, his faces, he does like, mm-hmm. it's a lot more animated. It's, yeah. it's dumb to say in an animated show, but his faces are not what his serious one is normally. Yeah, there's two really great faces that he makes in this one specifically. The there's the monkey when he's on the pirate ship and he, he's imitating the, the face of the little mat, a monkey statuette that he wants to put in the galley. And then the second one is at the end when he finds his lotus tower. He says, this is my sleeve the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> wide grin cheeky grin yeah. Yeah. i love it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> squinty eyes it's great i love that we had the return of one of the most important characters of the series the cabbage man oh yeah cabbage Absolutely. man oh i was like momo's been here i don't under- he's been here why is it a comeback <laughs> <laughs> the, the absolute comedy of that moment where he shows up where they're, they're, the trio is being chased by pirates Katara runs past, knocks a couple down. He catches him, no worries. Sokka runs past, knocks a couple more. Oh no, I got those too. Aang deftly escapes and just dives through. And you got to think he breathes a sigh of relief. Oh, it was those three again. We survived it this time. Only for Aang to turn around and just whip that cart at the chasing pirates. Oh, that is so funny. Aang has no manners Uh, whatsoever. The cabbage man. Love it. Well, any other small things to mention before we just sort of jump in? I don't no, think so. I, feel, I mean, I feel like it was a pretty fun episode. So yeah. if we just like pick our like fun moments out at all. Mm-hmm. Especially coming from an episode where we got like a big story arc yeah. from. So And that's a great transition because at the start of this episode, Aang is absolutely panicked. Mm-hmm. He's breathing heavy. He's pacing on the back of Appa. He has no idea what he's going to do because like I said in the summary, he has months before Sozin's comet shows up and it's all over. And he knows how to airbend. And that is it. Sokka's like, it only took you 112 years to learn airbending. Yeah. And you've almost mastered that. <laughs> <laughs> Such a jerk. So you should be ready in the next few months. <laughs> yeah. And Katara does offer to help, which is, you know, it's a start. Mm-hmm. But the extent of her waterbending we've seen so far is just dumping snow on Sokka and freezing enemies accidentally behind her. Right. So she, she doesn't have a lot of experience. She's not going to be a great teacher. Aang says they're months away from the Northern Water Tribe. And I think that's something that we've maybe underestimated up to this point. Just, just in the travel. Our, yeah, because yeah. it's literally North Pole, South Pole. Mm. So, I mean, it's, it's quite a journey that they're going on. And, of course, his detours in the first few episodes haven't helped. Right. But they've, they've got a long journey. But despite the fact that she's not super trained, she's not an expert, she does offer to help. And we see that... Maybe Aang could pull this off is sort of my takeaway because, yeah, yeah, she's not like the greatest teacher, but he picks up on what she's putting down and then surpasses her ability within minutes. And to some degree more so like Mm -hmm. is more proficient at it than she is. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, that's what I wrote in my notes, like seeing how quickly he just picks up that much and how quickly he's able to create a huge wave. And even later in the episode, when they're being pursued on the ships, he's able to send a wave over the deck. Maybe he's going to be able to do it. Roku did say in the last episode, oh, you've done it before, Aang. And so (laughs) maybe it's going to work out. You never know. What do you think, Melanie? Well, yeah, that's the first thought that I had whenever they were practicing and she was trying to teach him some of these moves. I thought the same thing after... She's like, it's re- don't be disappointed in yourself. And the next thing you know, he was just like actually doing everything that she said. So, yeah, I thought I thought the same thing and gave me a little bit of hope for him because mm-hmm. it's a daunting task mm-hmm. to have to figure out three new skills in six months. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, I would be terrified. 
Right. And not even just figure them out. He has to master them. Be like <laughs> pretty proficient in yeah. it. So he's taking down the fire lord. That's no small enemy. No, absolutely not. On a day where he's going to be juiced. So <laughs> yes, it's not going to be accurate. <laughs> so seeing how quickly Aang is able to pick it up certainly frustrates Katara. And I understand that being in a, a career, not necessarily the teaching part of it, but as a musician and being a performer, I, I relate somewhat to the notion that, man, that person is just naturally better than me and that really sucks. Yeah, there was a kid in high school. I, I played saxophone in middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. And, and one day... you anyway. <sighs> you married me anyway. <laughs> You're such a jerk. Love you. He, what, he picked up a saxophone, had never played it before a day in his life, whenever we had to do tryouts in sixth grade. And apparently he was just like this musical genius that just immediately picked it up didn't have to be in like beginner band classes or anything he immediately went up up to like the top band because Mm -hmm. he was just so naturally gifted and i remember being really really frustrated about something like that right and so i mean i i get it yeah we've we've i I get it we've all probably been there across that one person who's just like oh this but Uh you're like what no you need to leave. You need to. Leave. I've been working you it out for weeks. Leave. I've been working it out for months. I will lose my mind. Right. So she she does explode at Aang that one time, which is really heartbreaking because he's yeah. he's twelve. I mean, she's thirteen, fourteen. It's not a huge age difference. It's not like she's an adult talking down to a kid like this, but right. still, that hurts, especially considering that they're they're friends. And even beyond that, they talked about in the third episode at the Airbending Temple. We're family. We're your family now. And to have somebody of your family yell at you like that for you just being good at something, for you doing mm-hmm. what you are destined to do, it, I, I feel for Aang. <laughs> well, yeah, he was, he was bummed in his little face. Mm-hmm. And she realized it fairly yeah, quickly, too. Did. We can come back to that just because these, these multiple storylines sort of intersect. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time that this is happening in their training, Zuko is training on the deck of the ship and all of a sudden veers off course he's knocked into the side and he's like what is the meaning of this Mm -hmm. and he goes inside only to realize that uncle iroh is the one who has changed course for something super duper important right and of course zuko comes in and calmly asks hey did anyone change course Uh no no of course (laughs) of course at 100 all the time (laughs) Yeah. Is immediately about to throw like the 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 steer like overboard like what the hell is happening right yeah. now? Yeah, and I think he he even asked like, was there news about the Avatar? He said, oh, something much more important. <laughs> I know, like, <laughs> the build up of it, I was like, it's gonna be something really stupid. Now at that point, what I wondered was why did Zuko sort of give in? I mean, that's what I was thinking too. Uncle Iroh is technically a member of the royal family too. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's the quote adult of the situation. But Zuko, banished or not, is still the prince of the Fire Nation. If he didn't want to go to a port of call, he didn't have to. Right. So do you and think the captain of the ship? And captain of the ship. So do you think maybe he was he, he needed a break? Maybe he's just soft on Uncle right now. Maybe he needed supplies. Like why not? We can take advantage of the situation in some other way. I don't think so. I I literally think it's because he loves his uncle and respects mm-hmm. his uncle. And if his uncle tells him like this is what we're going to do, we're going to go find a lotus style mm-hmm. that I'm missing. I was like, well, that's what we're going to go do. Yeah, even if he's going to be the kid dragging his feet on the way, he's right. just like, okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah. He might you know. pout about it, but at the end of the day, it's something that he wants to appease for the uh, a man in his life that he loves. The other possibility is that maybe that he didn't have a lead on where Ang 
was at that time. So there was no real other heading for them to go. Right. So like might as well go visit people, see if there's been any more news of the Avatar spreading around. Something that I did think about was just like, what if Uncle Iroh not, we've had this discussion before where we kind of think that Uncle is a little bit more, what's the word? In tuned, I guess, than the rest. Why he was able to see in that one episode, the ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? So one thought I had before was maybe he just used this lotus tile as a distraction to go to this area so that Zuko can actually get a headway on what his mission is. That's meta. That's, that's, I would have never thought of that. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't put those together even a little bit. Yeah, it's certainly possible because it it did lead to the location of Aang and Mm -hmm. a potential capture. So a little bit, he did capture him again. For the, like the third, third time. time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it also seems to be the case that they just happen to be led mm-hmm. very near And then here's the this tile. Mm-hmm. How did I not know it was in my sleeve? Right. Like, come on now. <laughs> yeah. Come on now. Well, the other... Good call. Yeah, I, I like, like that. So the other thing that sort of happens in this episode is Katara, they, they, like I mentioned earlier, they come across a waterbending scroll on this pirate ship and Katara steals it. I know that kind of broke my heart a little bit. You were on her. You like, yeah, they, they left the boat and Melanie was just like, Katara stole it. And I was just like, yeah, because Katara was doing the whole, I I don't feel right about this place. Come on. We need to get away from these people. Which is a super Katara line. Like Uh I would, I, I would have never thought twice about it. And you were just immediately like, she has it. (laughs) She has the scroll. She took it. And I was just like, no. (laughs) What? Yeah. Angie and I, again, off to the side, just sort of trying to straight Pretend. face it. I know. And both of you, both of you, I looked at y'all and you're like, mm. nope, I'm just going to stare I'm straight the at show. the TV. <laughs> the, so frustrating. The, the, it's, it's, it's on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is a kid's show. Yep. And here is one of our main characters stealing. <gasps> I know. So it introduces this really interesting question of morality and mm-hmm. is stealing okay? I think it's pretty clear the answer is no, no right. but is stealing from thieves okay? <laughs> and I don't think this answer, this, this show gives an answer one way or another necessarily. No. It certainly shows that there are consequences yes. to actions, but it doesn't say necessarily, it, it's kind of a Robin Hood situation in a certain way. Although mm-hmm. she's not passing the waterbending scroll onto poor people living in the earthbending nation. Right. But I just wanted to see if there, we had anything else to say about that, considering it is a kid's show. You definitely see... Sokka has feelings about it, period. Mm-hmm. It was just like, he kind of let it go when she was just like, well, they were pretty obvious about the fact that they stole it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Especially since he said it was free mm-hmm. from, from a water. High risk trading. Right. And high risk trading and all this other stuff that, you know, the pirates use to rationalize why they have it. Mm-hmm. And then Katara rationalizes it by, well, it doesn't even belong to them. It belongs to waterbenders and and people of water tribes and so even though they weren't the originators of the scroll it's at least closer to home and i think i agree most with Sokka on this because he's just like meh like he he doesn't like that phrasing or you know ideology but he's just like that's fine i'll let it pass but at the same time he brings up the next point it's just like yeah but you also did it without any of us knowing and threatened, essentially compromised our, our lives because we were attacked because of something you did. Right. You, so, you compromised our safety. And I, I think it's important that 
Sokka doesn't give up on that part. And you actually, that's what we were alluding to earlier is that Big Brother does come out a little bit in the sense of what were you like, what were you thinking? Like you at the very least should have let us know what was going on. So we weren't just like being attacked. Right. (laughs) Or we would have been like, oh yeah, let's get as far away from this place as quickly as possible from the get go. But that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. You made a choice. You endangered us. And then that was the more, the more so the point that he made. But I also think it also brings in, there were consequences to something you did. Even if you think it's morally, I'll, I'll say acceptable, not morally right, but morally acceptable, you've still done something that brought harm. So you have to live with that. I was just going to say, it just shows, I think it was one of the examples of, since we're talking about a kid's show too, is a lesson that two wrongs obviously do not make a right. There, and what you said earlier, for sure, that there was obvious consequences of what happened. They were found out by the Fire Nation. They were captured by pirates. There was a, a fight ensued, like, all because of the decision she made without even consulting with anybody. It was just like a knee-jerk reaction. And I think, I think what makes it worse is that it wasn't motivated more so. If it were, I guess if you wanted to rationalize it a little bit, it was like, well, this is a water tribe call it heirloom. This is something that belongs to something that is very important to her. So she wanted to get it back for that reason. And I don't think that was the case. No, it was, that was a very selfish, unfortunate reason is that she wanted to be better. She, she was entranced by the different moves and the different techniques and she wanted that. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter what happened in order for her to get it. All that mattered to her in that moment is that it, she acquired it. She could advance herself, yeah. Yeah, that was going to be my next point as well, was that even though she says it was to do the right thing, these guys sold it in the first place, blah, blah, blah. It's got the same symbol as the necklace that my mother had gave me. Like, it, it's, it's all those things, but it's not. It's about, I'm selfish, mm-hmm. Aang is better than me, maybe I get it the first try, which she does try and get, and... I can momentarily at least be better than Aang at waterbending again. And that, that goes south. I, I think we already talked about sort mm-hmm. of like what happens with her. Did you have something to say, Andrew? You, well, yeah, just, uh, uh, just because I'm not done because uh-huh. Katara was <laughs> a lot this episode. But um, I think it would have been even better if she had taken the stance of like, y'all think we got time to mess around? Y'all think like we came across a water scroll. Aang needs to learn, if we had come across firebending scrolls or earthbending scrolls or however else we're supposed to learn these other elements, he's got like a couple months to learn every single element. Mm -hmm. And you're just going to sit here because we can't afford it from people who stole it in the first place. I would have agreed with that more, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't even the case. It was just like, remember end of world, we're training the only person who can save us. (laughs) Remember that part? No. No, I just want the waterbending scroll for myself. Like she didn't even mention that part. I was just, I would have agreed with her more if it was been like, we're kind of at uh, all stakes right now. Like it has to be done. The ends justify means kind of argument, but even then still not okay. But at the same time, it, that wasn't even her argument. And I was just like, oh no, it just <laughs> wasn't. I, I feel like I would have agreed with her if she was just like, listen, we don't have enough time to train him. We need help. We need as, as many things that we can possibly put our hands on. She did mention it briefly, but it was, it was a pretty shallow, like, yeah, I'm just saying this because reasons. Also this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, there, 
is a great lesson that comes out of this interaction between Katara and Aang. And the lesson is that very rarely are you the best at something, the best at something, at least as far as like natural talent goes. You, you can't let others' successes get you down on yourself. You just sort of have to keep on working to improve yourself and just don't take your frustrations out on others. And that, that's the main thing. Because if you're trying to make other people feel lesser than just because they're naturally gifted at something, that's not going to nurture their ability to continue to do that thing or to continue to get better at that thing at all. Thankfully, I think we do reach a point at the end of the episode where Katara does realize that this isn't a competition. I'm a waterbender. You are now apparently a waterbender. That's great. But we are not competing with each other. We can both work together to continue to get better, to continue to learn. And to continue to accomplish tasks together, which is how they end up escaping in the first place. They're able to sort of raise the tide a little bit to get the, the pirate ship out to the water. And they're able to escape. And then they're able to stop the ship from going over the waterfall uh, by waterbending. And which yes, all of that was so cool. Very cool. I like the, the whirlpool action that we got going yeah. on. And then after they, they work together and they do escape on the ship, Katara finally like summons up the, the courage to try and the, the focus. Like, okay, now or never, here comes the water whip. And she's able to do it when it, it's, lo, it's low, well, I, I say low pressure. It's not low pressure, but it's not like competition anymore. It's like mm-hmm. do or die. I got to do this. Um, and so she is able to take away from the waterbending scroll, but it's only when she's able to let go of this sort of selfish intent. Yeah, I agree. And I would have to also reiterate that that has to do with the fact that Bending is very tied to your emotion and an emotional state. Mm-hmm. Aang was very lighthearted in the beginning of the episode. And as he learned to move with the water, which is more likely the most, the, I, I would say the closest related to airbending, mm-hmm. is this kind of movement, this free-flowing of energy that Katara is doing. So Aang already kind of has that as an airbender. And then the more frustrated she gets, the worse her bending becomes because she's so, she becomes too rigid. She becomes so focused on doing it perfect, on being the best, on improving herself, that she's no longer flowing with that energy. Mm -hmm. She's losing that kind of part of herself because of how focused she becomes, how angry she becomes. And those are the opposing forces of water to be rigid, unmoving, and, and fearsome, things like that. So I just found it like very telling that the more she, she fought her own natural state of just doing things, the worse she got. Mm-hmm. And then when she was finally able to push that aside and just do what she felt was right, then she was able to accomplish what she needed to do. We see a couple of things from Zuko here I wanted to point out. The first is we, we get a real-time glimpse into his tracking talents after he comes across the pirates when accidentally with Uncle Iroh, and he hears talk about the waterbender and the, the bald monk, and they go seeking out Aang. And as they're traveling down the river, he says, well, we're going to stick to the river because they stole a waterbending scroll, so they're going to be on the water like Mm -hmm. duh mr pirate the the pirate was trying to get out into the woods and explore the woods but zuko that's very sound logic they're Mm -hmm. they're they stole a waterbending scroll they're going to be on the water duh and so we can assume that he's made logical conclusions like that along the way which is how he's so close on their tail every episode 
but then there was one specific Zuko moment in this episode that I like, I think garners some interesting discussion. He makes a personal appeal to Katara when he captures her after mm. they find her off the river. Yeah. It's a personal appeal. He says, please understand where I'm coming from. If I get the avatar, I will restore something that I lost my honor. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. What motivation does a villain again? We we've had some mild so discussions. <laughs> we've had some, some mild discussions about how villainous Zuko actually is, but he's clearly the antagonist in any case. Mm-hmm. How much of an antagonist is he? If he's just going to be like, listen, help me out. Mm-hmm. This is the truth. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. This is why I'm trying to accomplish it. I'm not trying to kill the guy necessarily. I don't think. For now. For now. Mm-hmm. I, th- I, I bet his father would. Right. But Zuko's just trying to capture him and be like, hey, daddy, here, look, can I have my honor, please? Mm-hmm. I thought the same thing. I thought it was really interesting because he's always being shown as this anger-driven, almost somewhat bratty little guy who's like has one mission is to get this guy get the avatar and then all of a sudden you see this like almost compassionate plea like you said and it was a kind of a completely different angle on him that i didn't expect to see this early on into the series and he's, he's not begging her he's not no, saying, please, please, no please it's please. just still like yeah i guess it's not begging it's not pleading no, it's, it's, it's very like war games it's it's calculated yeah. it's, and it's giving information it's like yeah. this is the way it is this is why i i'm not the bad guy I am trying to restore something that I lost. Mm-hmm. That is it. It's just revealing. I guess mm-hmm. it's also like showing a different side of him that I didn't expect to see. I was, like I was saying so early in all of this, but you made a point earlier about Zuko and the pirates and how he's tracking them. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to kind of play with an idea real quick that Zuko thought like a young kid and the pirate thought like a thief. Because as a pirate, they steal, they leave, or they hide. Mm -hmm. So he's looking for someone who has stolen something. So therefore is anticipating them keeping a low profile and hiding. Right. Zuko is like, no, they just got a new toy. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) They're going to go play with it. Yeah. (laughs) So that's a good point. Let's go find them near the water. Because if they were being a little bit more mature, they would have A, relocated before they started playing with the waterbending scroll. Mm -hmm. Or B, not done anything with it for a little while until they knew that they were completely like, like they were gone for all of what, five minutes without the pirates on their tail. And they're like, okay, now we'll just waterbend for the rest of the day. (laughs) Right. Like (laughs) they didn't get very far. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all just got away. And realize that y'all had the scroll to yourselves and y'all like immediately start using it. So I think it's one of those that's like he thinks on their level. And I yeah. think that's why he, he makes a, a good tracker for the avatar. Yeah, maybe he wouldn't be as successful tracking something else, like some sort of adult or other, like a, an earthbender chief, for example. Maybe right. he wouldn't have the perspective needed to track that person down. Whereas kids, I mean, he's not too far off from being a kid himself. Yeah. So I did love this scene because it just it did kind of go more so to the fact that Zuko isn't a bad guy. It gave more proof that he isn't like you said, he showing as others as our antagonist. But Mm -hmm. I think I think there's going to be a turning point for him soon. I feel it. Okay. I feel that it's coming. 
And that, that leads into one more thing that Zuko says in this episode. He condemns Katara for stealing the waterbending scroll. He, he reveals that he has the necklace at this point, which he got at the end of Imprisoned after Katara accidentally left it behind on the ship. And she says, where did you get that? And he says, I didn't steal it, if that's what you're asking. Says the man who's trying to kidnap a little boy. Like. Yes, but... But he would never steal like Katara <laughs> did. Exactly. And so I thought, wow, he, he's, he's condemning her <laughs> Everybody for is dogging on Katara. I mean, well-founded. Uh-huh. But everybody is going at Katara for this. Yeah. Sokka, Uncle Iroh, Zuko. Like, she's going to get it from all ends. The pirates. Yeah. The pirates. Yeah. So, the pirates. Okay. <laughs> I think Aang is the only one who's just like, at least we have waterbending scroll now. I know. Because, I mean, like, we have it. Might as well use it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Opportunist. <laughs> I'm sorry. I still can't get over Iroh. When Katara's just like, it's not like it's my fault. He goes, actually, it is. <laughs> <laughs> So we get the big fight scene. We see more of Sokka's strategy where uh, he, he reveals that Aang is the avatar to the pirates to get the pirates and Zuko to fight with each other. And mm-hmm. then that, that gives him the opportunity to escape. So more of Sokka's strategizing talents. Look at him doing things. Mm-hmm. There's the moment where Aang clears the smoke to see where Sokka is. <laughs> and he's like, wait really a second. Funny. Never mind. Let's bring all this back. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. Not okay with that. Yep. Never mind, I'll just come to you. (laughs) (laughs) And as they do make their escape, Aang makes it very clear that he can't help if he's better at waterbending than Katara because he is literally the Avatar. Like, again, he's been waterbending all of 10 minutes. He's able to send this little wave controlled over the deck to wipe off the people on top and not capsize the ship. And we, we just see his power. And we, again, see that Yes, it's, it's not a competition with him and Katara. He, he, they want to work together, and it's his idea to, to say, oh, with two waterbenders, look at the possibilities. Yeah, I mean, without so many words, he's basically saying, like, hey, remember the time that I'm a reincarnated person who's mastered the elements multiple hundreds of times over the past centuries, mm-hmm. and that at some point I'm going to be able to master all of these elements, and in fact, it's my job to do so, and that you a young girl from the, the Southern Water Tribe who has never been t- formally taught anything about water or water bending <laughs> may not be, I don't know, on my level. Like, right. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's not her fault. Like, and he wants to be nice about it, but at the same time, it's his job. Like, it's, it's why he's here. Mm-hmm. He's been a waterbender in previous lives. Like, it's not unknown to him. It's just unknown in this iteration of his life cycle. Right. And so... I get a little frustrated with Katara simply because it's just like, I feel like this is a very obvious statement and yet she's still getting really upset about it. It's like, he's the avatar. He, he's, the, he's the avatar. Like, this is what he's supposed to do. Yeah. Why are you surprised that he's this good? Right. But they're kids and kids will be kids. And I would be jealous. Absolutely. I, I, like I said, I get it. But you have a point too. I mean, she has to think of the bigger picture here. And she does, I think, by the end of it. The last thing, I, I don't even have like anything major to talk about an, anymore, but I did want to, uh, I, I laughed at the moment when, as Aang and Katara and Sokka are escaping on the ship, Uncle Iroh stops Zuko and the head pirate fighting each other. And he says, <laughs> are you so busy fighting you cannot see your own ship has set sail? And, and Zuko's like, 
this is no time for your proverbs, <laughs> uncle. <laughs> He's like, maybe that should be a proverb. <laughs> yeah, no. Now, interesting question discussion. If this was a proverb, let's theorize what would this proverb mean? <laughs> oh my gosh. Any thoughts? I mean, it's you're distracting, you're distracting yourself, uh-huh. you're fighting over something that you're losing what you already have. You're losing the big picture. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Yeah, that works for me. Also want to point out that Iroh hasn't really been fighting. No, he just stood there. <laughs> he just chills to the and side. Again. As, as the captain and Zuko are dueling, mm-hmm. it literally takes him like 13 seconds. He like disarms the captain and then like grabs Zuko's ponytail and like <laughs> separates them. Right. And it's just like... <laughs> Both of your ships are being stolen. Like, Pay attention. <laughs> hey, hey, focus. And I was just like, it just like literally shows Iroh doesn't do anything until he shuts something down. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, this guy, like he's just, he's chilling there. He's like, not a threat, not doing anything. And he's just like, oh, oh, now it's time to activate. Okay, let me shut this down real quick. Every single time Iroh steps in, he's just like within 13 seconds, oh, game over, like shuts it down. The dragon of the West. That's right. He's Boom. Just, he doesn't mess around. And I, I think that's why we love Iroh so much because he's this super whimsical guy who literally changed courses for a title in a game, doesn't find it, and buys a lot of useless crap for the ship. <laughs> he got that Sungi Say what you want to say because, about that. Because Iroh already knew my wife's favorite target saying oh you know i i literally wrote this down i said uncle sums up target yes (laughs) (laughs) i always say the only thing better than finding something you're looking for is finding something you weren't looking for at a great Great bargain bargain. yes no a thousand percent i wrote that down when i prepared this episode a week ago five times and not found what we were there for and still spent over a hundred dollars leaving and i was just like how how did this happen again and the curse of target man i understand and your wife is really good at distracting you with the things that i know you want (laughs) (laughs) so i just i find it hilarious that this is the same guy who has two people literally dueling and will just like stop it no one's injured just stops it de-escalates it and gets them back on track couple final moments to mention there's the I, i love the the setup and payoff of the bison whistle Aang picks it up for two copper pieces in the market, and it's useless. And then at the end of the episode, let's give it one one good try, and it works. It's called it too. Melanie did call it. Oh yeah, that was that that was like a dog whistle. Dog whistle for air air bisons. Also, why does a random person have a dog whistle for air bison? I'd assume it's just some sort of artifact. Air bisons haven't been around for a while. Yeah, it's just... I don't know. I would have bought it, too. It's super cute and tiny. I mean, if anyone on the planet needed it, it would be the last owner of the last Sky Bison. Yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> it works out. It ended up in the right hands, but I'm just like, where did he buy this from? <laughs> and I guess, it, you know, it proves how useless it was because he bought it for one copper piece because no one knew that it was what it was used for, nor if it was useful that it would have any effect because the thing that it was useful for doesn't exist anymore Yeah, for most people. So I was just like, I thought about that as soon as he said it. I was like, why? Who has a, why is there a uh, sky bison whistle? <laughs> it's just old kitsch at this point. And the person who could use it came across it. It works out. And then 
we end on the, the, the real tragedy of the episode when Uncle does find his white lotus tile in his sleeve, but Zuko throws it away. <laughs> that is so rude. <laughs> it just hits the guy in the water. He doesn't even react. No. Okay, so let's close off the episode with some predictions. Oh, how about my predictions from last time, sir? First, though, I would like to mention the Easter egg of, I guess it's, it's a little foreshadowing. I don't know what you're talking about. I think you do. With this pie show tile. Oh, okay, yeah. Gotcha. Uncle describes it as his unusual style, or unusual strategy, and how it's widely underestimated. And I, knowing a bit more about the series, did not pick up on this until much later on. So, I will be bringing it up in later episodes, but I also wanted to write it down and bring it up now, lest I forget. Okay. So... I found that like a like, little, oh, I just pointed to the, the sticker of the podcast. That's that what I, I kept have. thinking That's that it looked like. Tile, yeah. yeah. So obviously, I mean, there, there's obviously some larger meaning to the white Lotus tile, but we'll get into that later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right now it's just, we're, we're playing pie show and that's a great tile to use mm-hmm. for unusual strategy. Mm-hmm. You did this last time with the that solstice thing and, underestimated yeah maybe you did this last time with the solstice thing and it didn't work yeah no also because i was wrong but that's beside the point <laughs> <laughs> i talked to chad about it later so it's like i was thinking of something completely different sorry about that <laughs> okay so let's revisit melanie's predictions about yeah. this episode and how she did okay so let me see if i can read my own terrible handwriting uh finally start waterbending check possibly find and decipher I think you th- we were thinking that it might have been some kind of coded scroll. I don't know. Or... I thought it would be in maybe a different language. Oh. Yeah, I think that was the thought process. Okay. Well, technically, yes. I mean, they're, they're, they're forms, which is learning of a new martial art, essentially. Yeah, like one stance at a time. Right. Learning to flow through. Which isn't necessarily the same amongst all benders. So although not language, but it, it does need to be decoded or practiced in some way. So I like it. We'll go with yes. Um, Zuko, regroup with Iroh. A check. Mm-hmm. And we'll track the trio again. Also true. Aang will disclose newfound timeline. And that is regarding the fact that he now has to master, because obviously he found that out in the Avatar state with Roku. And so we were like, is he going to tell Katara and Sokka that that is what he has to do. Right, because at the end of Winter Solstice Part 2, Avatar Roku, they sort of wordlessly flew away into the moon right. with Sokka and Katara just comforting a really, really depressed Aang. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Freaking out. they're part of the story now. They understand. Mm-hmm. And as, as we open, he's already freaking out about it. Mm-hmm. Hashtag when we knew when he was having a panic attack before we knew what panic attacks were. Yeah, you, you could probably imagine the, the way he's having this panic attack at the start of this episode. It's probably like the next morning. Like they've been flying all night. He hasn't slept. He's exhausted. What am I going to do? Calm down. Let's go find a puddle which and play why, in it. Why, why, which is why, yeah, why, why Sokka was just like, you need to, you just, you need to chill, bro. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was, down. I was initially kind of upset with the way Sokka handled that situation. Well, it only took 112 years to master airbending. So, <laughs> but he's really just trying to alleviate the tension of what's probably a really stressful situation. And I can understand the humor side of it, even though I think it might not have completely worked out the way he intended it. True. True, but that's usually that's also yeah. Sokka's character. So, like, like not just being comic relief, but doing something that doesn't always work out. So, both 
Yeah. Both. Okay. So uh, I was about to call you Katara. You're wearing, you're even wearing blue tonight. I am. So, okay. <laughs> you're going to have to be, you're going to have to be really creative with your predictions for the next episode. Which is because titled? <laughs> it's, it's titled Jet. I expected that reaction. That's it. It is called Jet. I don't know. (laughs) What do you think Jet is, or was, or where, or like object, item, person? Maybe it's another Avatar, past Avatar. Avatar Jet. That'd be a cool name. That would be cool. Roku's a cool name. Jet, previous Avatar. Okay, so I mean that's probably because. Oh. I'm sorry. I was sorry. No, that's okay. Go for <laughs> because it. Roku said that he could possibly get information from past avatars as well, didn't he? Mm-hmm. So maybe this is another avatar that we're meeting to help him learn a little bit more about waterbending. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm not trying to refute this necessarily, but just keep in mind that the last episode was titled Avatar Roku. And this one is just called Jet. So it's a, it's a possibility. Oh, I could be We, we don't have wrong. that information because Jet, Jet is a new name for us. So they could just be waiting to drop that information. <gasps> Ooh, but I just wanted you to think a, about that. They might find a new companion. Possibly. Okay. Or a new companion. Now, that, that, that's not a whole lot that we can take away from just the word Jet. Is there anything just like what happened in this episode where you think we might be going next? No, not from this episode on what, where you're going to go next, but I did have a thought of like, okay, so Katara is helping him with water bending. Maybe we'll see Boonie again that he can help him with earth bending as he is the most powerful earth bender. And then he already knows air bending very well. How the heck is he going to learn fire bending? It's a good question. Although so I... that's why I was thinking the redeeming factor for Zuko is that he'll finally kind of break away from this thought of having to do this mission of honor to restore his honor with his father and actually help defeat his father. Okay. Uh, I, I want you to consider one more thing and then we can finish up. This is book one, the first season that each season is called a book and book one is called water. Oh, so we're going to stick with water. <laughs> so I just wanted you JK, to consider, I, I didn't want you to go to, so, although great predictions. Yeah. They are just very ahead of their time. Well, I was just thinking about it earlier. No, yeah. right, right, right. You should always be thinking about Avatar. That is <laughs> well, apparently my Facebook really be. wants me to always be thinking about Avatar because my secret FBI agent mm-hmm. who just hacks into my phone has mm-hmm. been showing me all of the Avatar things on yep. my phone. My Facebook feed and my TikTok feed are full of secret tunnels. Yeah. My <laughs> uh, <laughs> Avatar was something that showed up for me pretty frequently, but right now it's a lot of D&D. So yeah, mm-hmm. no, that pops up for me a little bit yeah. too. Yeah, and it's really hard, guys. I've been very good. I have I not clicked on any I of know. it, even on my BuzzFeed things. I try not to listen to it near you as well, because there's a couple of like TikTokers who are just like, this is what would happen if this and this and this. And so they're like bringing up a whole bunch of characters, and they're even doing some stuff with Legend of Korra. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like, should I know this, or do I not know this yet? Or... <laughs> no, I'm going to watch it anyway. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that might be something uh, I, I want to mention just real quick. So eventually, the, the, this podcast is going to take us to Legend of Korra, which is the sequel series. And did want to say that Andrew and I have both seen season one. Mm-hmm. I am very soon going to be watching the rest. I, I know you're thinking, how are you guys starting an Avatar podcast, but you haven't watched all of it? I know. Uh, and I, it's on my Here next to watch list, yeah. but Andrew is actually going to hold off, I think. And so when we get to Legend of Korra, begrudgingly, yeah, when we get to Legend <laughs> of Korra, Melanie and Andrew will both Welcome. be the newbies. I will be caught up at that point, obviously. 
But anyways, the reason I bring this up is our friend Seth actually just finished watching Legend of Korra. He texted me about it today. So nice. that's fun. Wow, Seth, Seth has more Avatar knowledge than we do now. Apparently. <laughs> but it's not right but very soon i will be caught up and i have all the comics and stuff that i'm gonna be reading as well so <gasps> sorry i've got really excited yeah the comics are gonna be great i have these big like library editions that combine all the volumes together because okay? each storyline comes in three three sets it was yeah, like part yeah. one two three and then mm-hmm. they combine them in one they library did that volume the walking dead series mm-hmm. my brother like was all about the comics whenever they first came out so with that, that is the end of the eighth episode of Crossroads of Destiny. Contact for the show everywhere. We are Xroads Pod on Facebook, on Twitter, on email at gmail.com, Xroads Pod. Uh, go over to Apple Podcasts. It's been a few weeks since we last got a review. We would love to see some more of those pop up on Apple Podcasts. Reviews and ratings are a great way to help spread the show and uh, help us to get a wider audience. And you can also leave us a voicemail. Oh, goodness. Surprise, we have a voicemail. Let, let's pop this in real quick. Okay, so this is a voicemail, and I have heard it, but obviously Andrew and Melanie haven't. Hi, uh, hopefully this is a Crossroads of Destiny uh, podcast. Uh, I had a question. My name is T. Sam, um, out of Oklahoma City. Wondering what do you think it would take for Avatar The Last Airbender to be on the status of a Harry Potter or a Star Wars, meaning an amusement park or a place that you could visit that's centered around them. What would it take? Would it take a feature-length film um, that is um, received and international? Thank you. Okay, so I am going to apologize. I can't really fully understand what your name is, but Google does say in its transcript that your name is Sam from Oklahoma City. So please correct us. Send us like a tweet or something with clarification so we can properly thank you with your proper name. But in any case, this is a really interesting question that I've thought a little bit about. Uh, so I'd like to hear your sort of just spur of the moment thoughts before I give my thoughts. I think it's a possibility for sure. Isn't there like a Nickelodeon something theme park once upon a time? Uh, in California? There, there, there is a Nickelodeon studio. And Maybe I think that's what I'm thinking. They, they have ties with Universal, or at least they have in the past. Yeah. So I don't think it's out of the the reach to be on the level of Harry Potter, though. <laughs> or Star Wars. Or Star Wars. Did he say Star Wars? Yeah, I'm so sorry. And honestly, there's some, there would be some discussion on if those are even on the same level. Mainly because oh, absolutely. Of, well, I'm talking in terms of like, I mean, Star Wars has been around for so long that you have a vast population of you know, people who are like our father's ages who grew up with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And then you have people our age who also grew up with Star Wars. And then people who are growing up right now with Star Wars. And in fact, we're one of the first generations that grew up with Harry Potter. So although internationally, or like across the world, highly engaged, I would say Star Wars would still kind of outweigh Harry Potter just in terms of oh, longevity yeah, and for things sure. like that. Yeah. I think with the case of it having its own theme park, though, it obviously didn't do well from its first feature film. No. And Andrew and I had a discussion a couple episodes ago that uh, we, we recorded separately, but we talked about the upcoming live action Netflix series and how the creators have left that and 
how that's really what failed the movie and what might, but hopefully won't fail the Netflix show. Yeah. Here's my thoughts. My thoughts is it's never going to be on Harry Potter or Star Wars level. It's it's not. As much as we might love it, it doesn't have the same broad appeal that something like Star Wars has that is very archetypal. Mm -hmm. And then the appeal that Harry Potter has just, Harry Potter was lightning in a bottle. And it struck at a very particular moment in time as we were sort of entering the, the dawn of social media. And it was like the first like online fandom mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so Harry Potter, while very good, we're all Harry Potter fans. I don't think it would have had the same appeal had it happened 10 years earlier, necessarily. Maybe right. it, it'd, be as, it'd be esteemed, but I don't think it'd be as enormous as it is. Harry Potter is, I think, the most successful film franchise of all time as far as like box office gross and mm-hmm. it was the first bet- between Harry Potter and Star Wars it was the first to get a theme park Star Wars just recently got its theme parks in the mm-hmm. last couple of years right but i mean it's there's been a smaller part of Disney World that or the studios like the M- MGM studios i uh, think or but it used studios. to be it's hollywood studios now yeah i'm old that's fine <laughs> um that always has had a Star Wars installation right and i think to say to go off of what you're saying is like it hit at the precise moment i mean look at another franchise that was super popular but never got on the same level and it was just a few years later was twilight Mm -hmm. people Mm. went crazy for twilight for those books for the soundtrack all of the merchandise and it still never was on the same par of harry potter and it was just a few years later yeah yeah so that that's my answer i don't think it'll ever be on that level now recently it has definitely gotten a resurgence in popularity and, and that's true. a whole lot of extra exposure because of it being on Netflix. And so who knows if they're able to pull off the impossible with this Netflix series and make a genuinely good show, maybe we could see at least it reach sort of Stranger Things heights because mm. that's what we've seen Netflix be yeah. really successful at is those, those kind of series. Mm-hmm. And so who knows, but Will we ever get like a theme park around it? Maybe a small, not. small subsection, maybe, maybe a ride. Yeah, a couple yeah. of rides is what I was thinking. Yeah. If anything, it would yeah. be just like a little segment. Yeah, as much as I would love it. I- It'd be super- <laughs> right. Imagine riding an Appa. Uh, riding an so Appa like real. in a, a, a 40 like, dark ride or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Or, yeah. Adventure kind of or situation. I would love like some sort of multiplayer online game, uh, an MMO, what, where I could is- like create my own bender and explore the world. That is where I was going to go with that, mm-hmm. is that I think if it's ever even going to remotely approach that kind of level to have, like, visiting a, a, par- a park you can visit or that kind of level of popularity, not only will it need more exposure as a franchise, because, I mean, obviously we're spammed with a lot of Avatar stuff because our phones can hear that we say Avatar a lot, mm-hmm. but we'll peacefully ignore that part real quick (laughs) because I'm a good American. Anyway, um, we, I would have to say the next big step would be a masterfully done VR game Mm -hmm. where you can literally put on gear of some kind and, and within a video, the context of a video game, be a fire, water, air, or earth bender. Once we have the original content, great box office movies, and a VR game, 
we might see that kind of popularity. Mm-hmm. And I and I would only and I only say that because I know that there's a lot of VR out there, but it's still kind of shoddy. It's mm-hmm. not like the most immersive. And I know there's about 400 million tech companies who are trying to be like the VR people. However, we're still not quite there. And I think that if we can get a game where you can literally pretend to be a, a bender of some kind, then once that popularity is around as well, because we all know that the online communities usually do drive a lot of this kind of feeding what what is worth the time of other companies that physically do or build something or make something. So that being said, yes, absolutely the next phase would have to be a decent franchise at the box office or however we're doing movies post-COVID to where that exposure will go up. Mm-hmm. I'll offer one more thought and then we can truly close off. My only other thought is now that everybody is being exposed to The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra on Netflix, what if the creators were to create another sequel show or another spin-off show? And so there'd be something new from the creators driving people to the property. And then we could maybe see some sort of explosion in popularity, even greater than what we've gotten over the last couple of months. I mean, from what I know about Korra, the legend of Korra, there's a lot of space between, or at least untold story between the end of Avatar and the beginning of Korra. Mm -hmm. And the comics do cover some of that space. Right. But in terms of new, I'll say like new content for um, like Netflix to use mm-hmm. that still has is it's fairly untapped. So you have like a middle ground there as well as you have previous avatars that we could go to. Cause I'm sure there's quite a few. I know we get some episodes of where we see a lot of Roku and things like that, but I'm sure there's a, quite a few people out there who would want to see Kiyoshi mm-hmm. and what her avatar story is and things like that. I mean, i I feel like that's really un, untapped in terms of, how far back of the avatars you want to go or how far forward. Right. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a cycle for a reason. So I, I feel like they really set something up to where they can tell a lot of great stories with the basis that it's a, I mean, this is let's like boil it down. This is cartoon version of Dr. Who mm-hmm. when he dies, he doesn't die. He right. comes back to something else. And so they've been able to utilize that as in like, oh, the new doctor has all of this other stuff and this is the kind of realm that he fights in and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it, they can literally change the story at, as the new doctors go on. Right. Here we are with the Avatar as well. You can do the same thing. I mean, we are, and at least from my perspective, we already see that there's a very different, there's a huge difference in the world around Aang and Avatar The Last Airbender and the world around Korra mm-hmm. in The Legend of Korra. Right. So there's huge changes, and I, I, I feel like there's a lot of untapped potential, so I would agree that there's a lot of room to grow there. Okay, well, thank you for that first voicemail. Again, Sam, question mark. Um, so <laughs> let us know somewhere on social media or email or wherever so we can properly thank you with your name because I don't think it's Sam. That's just what Google tells us. <laughs> um, so if you would like to leave a voicemail like Sam and to give us more like 15 minute discussions at the end of our yeah. episode in the future. <laughs> uh, you can call uh, 3145 Yip Yip. That is 314 594 7947. If you keep it under a minute, 
That way we can go even longer. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> All he wanted to know is that there was going to be rides, y'all. <laughs> like, no, that's great. That's okay. Uh, I love it. I love it. There has to, there's, has to be a lot of things that happen. Then we then. need to make yeah. a separate show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Melanie, where can people find you online? It's MelanieAmanda44, and that would be on Instagram. Okay. And Andrew, LOL, social media, but he's watching <laughs> the Twitter account. Yeah. The, the best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. My other podcast is the Cinescope Podcast, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them on Twitter at Cinescope Pod, website thecinescopepodcast.com. And then the other podcast, which covered another TV show, An American Workplace, that's at Workplace Pod, workplacepodcast.com. And show notes and all contact information for this show can be found at xroadspod.com. That is it. Thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you next time in episode nine when we talk about book one, chapter 10, Jet. I'm so excited.